All right, as I said, uh, title of this morning's message, um, The Beauty of Unity in Diversity. Now, God has given every believer distinct spiritual gifts in order to bring unity among the diversity that exists in the church. Although, dif although different, these gifts are designed to show us the important role every believer has in the church, regardless of age, race, gender, social, or economic status. So my hope is that you'll personally see that you will see for yourself that as a Christian, whatever gift or gifts, whatever your gifts or gifts are, you're an important part of not just this church body, but also an important um, part of the worldwide body of Christian believers. So I, get, I have a lot to get to this morning. Um, I won't take too much on the introduction. So let's open up with a word of prayer and get into God's word. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning um, with an open heart and open mind. There's just so much to, to, to learn, Lord, and, and so much wisdom in, in here, in your word that you want to show us and it's all meant for us Lord I pray as we get into this message into this to what Paul wrote here in chapter 12 of 1st Corinthians that it will become alive that it will speak to us personally show us things that we've never seen before May we accept it as truth. Use me right now in a powerful way to speak your truth, Lord. And we all again thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, by the one Spirit to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, through, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, 
whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. And I'll stop there for just a minute. So after having discussed the issues, well, after having addressed the issues that he discussed in chapter 11, Paul now begins to discuss the topic of spiritual gifts. But in order for the Corinthians or the Christians at Corinth to understand what he's about to say, he first wants them to take a stroll through memory lane. He wants them to remember and acknowledge how they used to follow, speak, and speak, and even pray to worthless idols that didn't have the capability to answer them back. Now, you and I, you probably didn't have small little statues um, that you spoke to before you came to Christ. But some of you may have had some kind of idol that you followed or spoke to regularly. Now let me give you some examples. Some of you may have had idols that you spoke to to take away your problem. It could have been a pill bottle, it could have been an alcohol bottle, a drink, a glass. I remember during those days, I would, that's what would be going through my mind. And I would mentally, I'd be speaking to this alcoholic drink and say, yeah, take my problems away. I don't want to deal with this, I don't want to deal with that. Some of you may have spoken to other idols to bring you good fortune. Now, how many times have you bought a lottery ticket or, or done something like that or, some, or gone to the slot machines in Vegas or some other casino and be like, come on, give me that money, give me that money. You know, you realize you're speaking to a machine, an idol. Well, Paul also wanted them to go back to that time so they'd remember what their attitude and words, words were about Jesus Christ before they had God's Spirit in them. He tells them in verse 3 that those who, were, who are genuinely being led by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, will not speak evil of Jesus. Instead, truthfully acknowledge, truthfully acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. The point he's making here is that the Holy Spirit is living powerfully in them and is not an ineffective idol like the ones they, or maybe even you, have used to follow and speak to. Paul then mentions that in addition to the diversity of gifts, there is also a diversity of ministries and activities. Now we'll get to the, speci the specific gifts in a minute, but in verses four through six, Paul makes three similar parallel statements that highlight these spiritual gifts from different angles. Now these gifts are bestowed freely by the Spirit, by the Spirit's grace. They're intended to be used in a Christ-like attitude of servanthood. And they're the result of God's powerful working in a person's life. Now if you notice carefully there is also a Trinitarian emphasis here. The same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. As believers, we individually have many gifts or have different gifts 
ministries and ways of working. However, as Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 states, it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. You see, the source of the gift is God. The sphere of administrating the gift is from God. And the energy to use the gift is from God. It's therefore pointless for me or for you or for anyone to suggest that one person is better than the other and for any kind of competition to exist. Paul then adds a fourth statement in verse 7. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Now he writes this to stress that God has given every Christian at least one gift for the mutual benefit of the whole body of believers. The manifestation of the Spirit also implies that these gifts, ministries, and activities are made possible by the Holy Spirit's enabling power. He then goes out to point out nine of them that he divides into three sections. Now Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4 has others, but for now I'm only going to be focusing on these nine, on these nine that he mentions here. The first section, a message of wisdom and knowledge. These gifts reflect the ability to bring spiritual insight to bear in a timely, in a timely helpful fashion in a specific Christian context. If Paul intends any difference between the word wisdom and the word knowledge, it may be that wisdom is knowledge applied. Now later in chapter, in chapter 13 verse 2, he does, he does um, knowledge is linked, he does say that knowledge is linked with understanding mysteries. So it may involve an element of explaining what those mysteries are as well. So when people come to you for advice or help, pray that the Lord will give you the operation of the word of wisdom in order to express that which is right in the sight of the Lord. That those who are asking will recognize what you have to say as wisdom. Now when it comes to the gift of knowledge, I believe that it most, it most readily manifests itself through the teaching of the Word. Whether through those that are teaching third graders in Sunday school, or those who are teaching adults in Bible study. In the second section, he mentions faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, and distinguishing gifts or distinguishing spirits. The gift of faith is the divine ability to remove mountains of difficulty in pursuing the will of God. This gift will enable you to do great things for God in response to a command or a promise God, of God found in His Word or through prayer. The operation of faith is the ability to step out in response to the leading of the Spirit and to do something you would have never have done before or have done otherwise. The gifts of healings have to do with the miraculous power 
to heal diseases, illnesses. Notice here also that the word gifts is plural. Therefore, I don't believe that anyone has a singular gift of healing whereby he or she can line up a group of people and heal them all. However, I do believe that there are individual gifts of healing distributed through a person or through a group of people. He then mentions performing of miracles. And this could include casting out demons, raising the dead, and exercising power over the natural elements. Gifts of healing and working of miracles often operate in conjunction with the gift of faith, as in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. These things are not done on the whim of the individual. No one can just say, I'm going to perform a miracle just because. It doesn't work that way. Again, it can't, can't be done on the whim of an individual as if the power to heal or work miracles was at their permanent disposal. Instead, they operate as an individual is prompted by God and given the faith to perform such work. He next mentions the gift of prophecy. Now, in, in its primary sense, it signified that a person received direct revelations from God and transmitted, it, transmitted them to others. Yeah, sometimes these prophets predicted future events. More often, they simply expressed the mind of God. Prophecy can also include direct praises to God and the encouragement and strengthening of His people. It's important to stress this point about this gift of prophecy. The operation of prophecy is not always to foretell the future, but to express God's heart. Prophecy consists of words of edification, exhortation, or comfort spoken at the, at, at the very time they're needed the most. Distinguishing between spirits describes the power to detect whether a prophet or other person is speaking by the Holy Spirit or by Satan. A person with this gift has a special ability to discern if a man is an imposter and, and an, opportunity, an opportunist, for instance. This is important to keep in mind. This is important to keep in mind that the Bible warns us that there are false teachers out there. There are, there are, there are wolves in sheep's clothing, clothing out there who are deceiving people, who are deceiving God's children or attempting to deceive them. We're told in 2 Corinthians 11, 14, and no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, the, the devil will try to do anything to mess with your mind, to deceive you, and he will bring people sometimes to say things that are just going to confuse you, or confuse the church. And again, it's that distinguishing, that's a, a special gift too, is distinguishing knowing whether it's coming from the Lord or coming from someone somewhere else. Now in section 3, he describes uh, the different kind of tongues and their interpretation. The gift of tongues is the ability to speak a foreign language without ever having learned it. 
Now, yes, a lot can be mentioned about this gift, but for the sake of time, I'll just mention a few things about it, about this gift. Tongues have an important place in the devotional life of the, of the believer, but a small place, and this is important, a small place in the corporate life of the church. Again, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses eight through, or 18 and 19. Especially in public meetings. And he'll be discussing, he'll be talking about that more in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. When tongues are practiced in the corporate life of the church, it is to be carefully controlled and never without an interpretation given by the Holy Spirit. Again, I'll speak more about this in a bit, but the ability to pray in an unknown tongue is not given to every believer. Not every believer has the gift of tongues. Additionally, praying in a tongue is not always the evidence of, of the filling of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't always mean, just because you're speaking in a foreign language or a foreign tongue, doesn't necessarily mean that you're being filled by the Holy Spirit. Now I say this, again, carefully, because it has led people to seek the gift of tongues and to counterfeit it, merely to prove to themselves and to others that they really are filled by the Holy Spirit. Now the last one he mentions here is the interpretation of tongues. This gift is the miraculous power to understand a language which the person has never known before and to convey it and convey that message in the local language. Someone here has in a time of prayer and, and is speaking again in Russian or Portuguese, it would be, it's this gift of interpretation would be as if someone were to stand up or say, what they're, without even again having learned it, to be able to say what that person is saying in English. And that's again an amazing, wonderful gift to have. Now, after mentioning these nine gifts, Paul says in verse 11 one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. He says this to inform them that the Holy Spirit and not individual merit, not your works, it's not your works who determines who gets what gifts. Therefore, they can't be used to mark out anyone for special status within the church. In verses 12 through 13, Paul begins to develop the metaphor of the church as the body of Christ. He uses the human body to, as an illustration of unity and diversity. The body is one, yet has many members. Although all believers are different and perform different functions, yet they all combine to make one functioning unit within the universal and the local church body. Just as the human body is a vehicle by which a person expresses himself to others, so the body of Christ is the vehicle on earth by which he chooses to make himself known 
to the world. He goes on to explain that the, that the body-like unity of Christians is not a goal to achieve. It's a fact to be recognized. Although these Corinthians came from a diverse ethnic and social economic back brackets, they are united into one body and being baptized by one spirit. Paul here is writing of the common immersion of all believers that all believers have in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus. A common immersion which brings them into one body. Not only that, but as a body of believers, they were all given, or we've all been given, one spirit to drink. Meaning they've all partaken of God's spirit by receiving him as an indwelling person and by also receiving the benefits of his ministry in their lives. Now, allow me just to clarify what baptism is being talked about here. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that divine operation which places believers in the body of Christ. It's not the same thing as water baptism. So in other words, the moment you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and become born again, He baptizes you into the Holy Spirit. And as seen here, the Spirit baptizes us into one body. Now in the following verses, Paul will get more into detail about how this unity works within the human, within a physical human body. So let's pick up in verse 14. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it is, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. Let me repeat that verse. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our respectable parts are treated with, great, with, with, uh, with greater respect, with which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no divisions in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Beginning in verse 14, Paul states 
Paul gives us the rational reason God permitted diversity within, within unity. The human body functions in the same way the church body does. Verses 15 through 20 underline what is demonstrable with respect to a fully functional human body. All the parts serve as an important function, regardless of any claims to the contrary. Without diversity, without the diversity that each part of the human anatomy specializes in, all you have is one giant body part, really unable to do anything. Likewise, it's no different within the church body. There must be many members, each one different from the others, working in obedience to the head, which is Christ, and in cooperation with others. Leslie Flynn, in his book, Great Church uh, Fights, put it like this. In the church, there is a bond, there is the bond of family, yet room for variety. The devil tries to disrupt unity. Two chickens tied at the legs and thrown over a clothesline may be united, but they don't have unity. Paul continues the analogy in verses 21 through 25 by applying it to the church. Just as it is folly for one person to envy another's gift, so it is equally foolish for anyone to devalue another's gift, another's gift or feel that he doesn't need the others. For instance, he says, the eye cannot see, the eye can see that things need to be done, but can it do them? Can the eye actually do these things? No, it depends on the hand for that. Again, the head might know that it's necessary to go certain places, but it depends on the feet to take them there or to take it there. In my experience, I've seen a number of believers display a fleshly tendency to be seen or to be noticed rather than being content with doing the unnoticed menial tasks of the church they're always looking for opportunities or ways to do things in order to be noticed in order to get validation if god wants to use you to be the hands and feet of the church be joyful in that role instead of getting angry that god isn't using you as the eyes or the mouth. See, others may not notice the works you're doing, the, the menial, those menial tasks. They may not see it, they may not notice, but what's important is that the Lord does. He sees it and He knows when you're doing it with a joyful heart and He smiles. And that's what ought to matter. Paul tells us the Lord has planted each one of us where he wants us to be and, and where we'll function most effectively. If you see a need, if you see a place that you believe the Lord is calling you, mention it, say something. 
you know, if, if, if either one of you want to do the camera, do the, take over the, the technical stuff that Isaac does sometimes and let us know, you know, he may have, that's maybe you, you know, if you want to bring the donuts and the, the tacos, you know, you want to serve in that way, hey, let us know. It may be something that you, that God, the Lord is putting in your heart. And we don't want to take that away from you. We don't want to, we want to encourage that. He then mentions that some body parts of the body are weaker, that are weaker, are indispensable. For example, and this is what he means, the kidneys don't seem to be, don't seem to be as strong as the arms but the kidneys are indispensable, whereas the arms are not. You can live without arms, but you can't live without, a ki or without the kidneys. We can, we can live without arms and legs or even, or even without a tongue, but we cannot live without a heart, without heart, lungs, liver, or brain. Yet these vital organs never put themselves on public display and carry on with their function without ever being noticed. There are also body parts which are normally covered by clothes that are often considered less honorable. Nevertheless, we give these body parts greater honor by clothing them more carefully than the presentable parts. Similarly, similarly in the church, there's a certain mutual care among members when they minimize those differences. Paul's fundamental concern is that the gifts and or people the Corinthians were putting down should be lifted up, while those that are overly exalting should be put in a more balanced perspective. You see, according to Jesus' word in Matthew 18.3, humility is a pinnacle value in the kingdom of God. So verse 26 rounds out, rounds out Paul's discussion of the body with another reminder of mutuality and interdependence among believers in the church. Now here's what's interesting that I've discovered. What's interesting is that recent medical studies have been able to better understand how mutuality and interdependence also applies to the human body. These studies have discovered that the human body is a psychosomatic whole. What does that mean? It means that a physical disease or illness will cause psychological stress and anxiety and psychological stress will cause the body to suffer. So just like the mind, just like the body and mind react to each other when it's sick or when it's healthy, the effects are similar within the fellowship of believers. One individual's joy or suffering should prove contagious. Now in this last part of this ch chapter, Paul would elaborate just a little more on how this relates to the church. So let's finish off this chapter by picking up in verse 27. First Corinthians chapter two, 
or 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healings, healing, helping, administration, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do, do, all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all, have, do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts. And at the end he says, and I will show you an even better way. In these last few verses, Paul restates the meaning of the meaning of his body metaphor. You are the body of Christ and individual members of it. He then gives his readers another listing of sample gifts which he ranks according to their benefit to the church. First on this list were the apostles. These were the men who had some personal contact with Jesus, saw him in his resurrection, and were appointed by him to their office. Now in a strict meaning of the word, we no longer have apostles. In a wider sense though, we still have missionaries and church planters sent, for, sent forth by the Lord. Second on, this, on his list were, were prophets and third teachers. Now since I already covered what their roles and their purpose and purpose was, I won't get into it here. However, if one will either claim or receive the title of prophet today, let them be held at the same standard of a prophet, 100% accuracy in every word. So in other words, if someone comes along or you hear on television or on the internet or on TV, this is prophet so-and-so and, and they're a prophet of God, be wary and be careful. Again, have that discerning mind and um, ask the Lord for, that, for discernment. A prophet should be held in the same standard as all the other prophets of old. 100% accuracy. Paul then continues to rank the gifts, but the ranking becomes more generalized and shifts to functions rather than individuals. Again, we've already covered miracles, healings, and tongues. So I'll briefly define the other two. The gifts of helps. What's the gift of helps? This refers to those who do the work of the Lord by providing help and relief to those who are suffering or in need. And again, this is a broad term, but you know, it's helping. It's just generally helping those in the church, helping in the church, helping those outside the church in the community. Yes, this is a gift. This is a gift of God. And if you have a joy in doing it and continue to do it. Again, you're, you're doing it for the Lord. And it's that, it's just 
helping out. The gift of administrating. In the Greek, that word means lead or govern wisely. And it refers to a believer's capacity to accomplish spiritual goals through the assistance of others. It's leading a group of people or leading a project and fulfilling it, getting it done. And again, using others to help you. Now, although Paul points out that some of these gifts have more significance than others by ranking them, he's not contradicting the lesson he just shared. That each gift is important and each individual is important. A lesson that unfortunately the Corinthians should have understood but didn't. And that I hope that as a church we will. You see, even though God has called me to lead and teach His Word here, you and I are equally important in His eyes and in this church. The Lord said in Isaiah 43, 4, You are precious in my sight. I love you. We are so precious to God that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die so that you and I wouldn't have to die because of the way we have messed up our lives with sin. Author David Ekman said this, my son is dying for you because you are worth a son to me. Now verses 29, in verses 29 and 30, Paul then makes a series or asks a series of rhetorical questions. These questions all employ the Greek word me or me, demonstrating that the implied answer to each question is no. His main point here is that every single believer wasn't intended to have the same gift. For instance, any suggestion express or imply that everyone should have the gift of tongues is contrary to the Word of God. Not only that, but it's also foreign to the whole concept of the body with its many different members, each with its own function. Now let me just share something here personally. I, I haven't been given the gift of tongues. I haven't been given the gift of healings nor I haven't been given the gift of miracles. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Because God has used His Word, chapters like this, to teach me just to be thankful for the gifts that He has given me. So I rejoice when the Lord gives me the opportunities to use them. You see, even if He's just given you one spiritual gift, just one, one gift for you individually, I hope that you're just as thankful and are always looking for ways to bless those in this church by using it, by, with it. Whether, again, it's the gift of helps, whether it's the gift of administrating, 
whether it's the gifts of healings, miracles, tongues. It's for the edification of this church. This is the beauty of unity and diversity. After this, Paul now encouraging, encourages the Corinthians to desire the greater gifts. Here, he's letting them know that some spiritual gifts are greater in significance than others, and it's entirely proper for you, for, that, for them, and even you to pray, to pray for and even try to cultivate certain gifts as long as they leave room for the Spirit to refuse or grant their desires if He so chooses and so that the local church body is directly edified. As I mentioned, even though I don't have certain gifts, I haven't nor will I ever stop asking the Lord that He bless me by giving them to me. Not so that I can become some super Christian and heal everybody and do all kinds of miracles and, and have all these superpowers. It's not so that I can make a name for myself. Again, I'd rather just be a simple pastor, a teacher, a Christian of 10, 15 people, whatever it may be. And I, but what I'm saying is that if he decides to bless me with these gifts, it's in order to bless you, in order just to help you and to just minister to you, to serve you. And you know what, yes, even to bring more unbelievers to Jesus Christ. Is this same desire, is this the same desire you have when asking God to give you a certain gift? You see, ultimately, God gives his children these spiritual gifts or these spiritual gifts for this reason. This is again pay attention to this. He gives these gifts for this reason that he may be glorified through the worship and praises of his people and so that unbelievers repent of their sins and believe in his son Jesus Christ. Now, two questions are often asked after a message like this. And this may be something going through your mind. The first one is usually asked by Christians. Pastor, I don't know what my gift is. I've been praying for it for a long time. I've just or I've just become a Christian and I don't know what it is. And how do I find out? How do I find out what that gift is? Well, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, here's what I suggest. And this is, again, from my experience. It took a long time. I had an idea when I first became a Christian, but it really took many, many years before I, the Lord really made it clear to me. And this differs from person to person. First, what I would suggest is to pray. Pray regularly, fervently, and expectantly. Are you praying that the Lord will reveal, you, will reveal to you that gift or that the Lord will grant you a certain gift? And are you, while you're doing that, are you only focusing on one particular gift 
Or you just, you know, what if he wants to bless you with helps and you're asking for tongues? You know, it's, it's okay to ask. But like I said, you need to pay attention to what he's telling you, what he's trying to teach you, or what he's speaking to you when, you, when you're praying. Pray. Just ask the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You're his child and he has a special gift for you. I would also suggest read, study, and meditate on God's word. Are you looking into God's word? Are you studying scripture? Sometimes he will reveal to you exactly what your gift is through the study of his word. And again, when that happens, it's just an amazing time. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and here's what I want you to pay attention to, for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness, that's how you learn what your gift is. How, that's how he speaks to you, is, is it trains you in that righteousness. And I would lastly suggest, serve. Serve in any way you can, again, with the heart of joy. Whatever it is, it could be, and I mentioned a few earlier, but it could be coming in early and helping set up. It could be just putting the Bibles away. It could be, um, you know, just a number of things. Serve. Do different things. Get involved in different ways. Go out there and, and find ways that we can possibly serve in the community. Again, there are different ways. It doesn't have to be just one particular way of, uh, of serving. But again, when you do it, do it with a heart of joy. Paul wrote in Galatians 6.10, As we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Now the second question is typically asked by unbelievers. What must I do to get these gifts? The answer to this question is simple. You must be born again by believing in God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. The moment you do this, the moment you accept Him into your heart and open and surrender your heart to Him, Open up your heart to Him. He will make His home in you and will begin revealing what His purpose is for your life. In time, He will begin to show you what those gifts are so that His will and His purpose can be accomplished through you. It may not happen immediately, but the Lord, the more you're into prayer, the more you're into His Word, the more you serve, the more He will reveal to you what your gifts are. 
But, it all, but again, it all begins by and through Jesus Christ. So if that's what you desire and that's what you want, wherever you are, close your eyes, bow your heads, and if you're ready to receive Jesus into your life, pray this with all your heart. Heavenly Father, I come before you now broken and empty. I admit that I'm a sinner and that I've fallen short of your glory. I believe you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. I believe in him. I believe he is Lord and he is God. So now take my sins and wash them away, Lord. I receive your forgiveness or I accept your forgiveness. Make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. So that I may walk with you for the rest of my life. So that I may know you more intimately. Thank you for your love for your forgiveness, for sending Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you pray that, let us know, let somebody know, but let me just tell you that, again, you are born again, and now you're part of the body of Christ. The question is, will you be an effective part of that body? You can either walk away and say, yeah, this was okay for a temporary time and now I'm gonna do my own thing. And doing that, you just become that, that gallstone that isn't good, you know, it's part of the body, but it's not good for anything. All it does is cause pain. Or you can really go out there and, and, and study and pray and serve and learn what your gifts are so that you can become a vital tool in the church. But if you have, again, any questions, anything you want to talk to us about, or uh, contact me. Let me know. Let me know that you prayed that, and, and uh, I will talk to you a little more about how you can continue in your walk. But don't go at it alone. Surround yourself with other Christians. And for us here in this church, again, my encouragement is, is that you know, let us be united. There is, again, we all are different. We all come from different backgrounds. And we've, I mean, most of you have shared, all of you have shared something about your background, where you came from. And, and even then, there is beauty. There is, there is beauty 
in that, in, in our unity. Although we're diverse, there is beauty in that. We can all help each other out in one way or another. That's what the Lord has called us to do. Let us be that for each other. You have a gift and use it. Don't be shy about it, you know, and let somebody know. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, uh, there is there's a lot that we can learn just from this chapter alone. About unity, about love, how we ought to treat each other, how to be able to minister to each other, Lord. So I hope that when we go back and we read, reread this chapter, that you will be able to pull more things out that you want to speak to us individually about, Lord, that you haven't already told us through this message. Lord, we want to draw closer to you. We want to just become more united as a church. We want to draw closer to each other. Lord, make it clear, make it known to those who know what their gifts are. They may use it here. They may use it outside in the community, Lord. Show them how important they are to you. And for those who don't know yet or are looking for it and trying to discover it, Lord, continue to show them and reveal it to them. You have a perfect timing. You, have, well, there, you, you, you are perfect, and you do have a perfect timing for revealing it clearly. And when you do, may they also just use it mightily for the edification of this church, for the edification of the worldwide body of believers. Christians everywhere. Lord, these gifts are from you, and we're so thankful that you've given it to us by your grace and your love. We didn't deserve them, but you did. You gave them to us. Thank you. Bless this next time of fellowship, Lord. May we all come together and just have a great time of conversation. May we just edify each other and bring you up, Lord, lift you up high. Again, we pray for Isaac and his family and his mom. Be with him now, Lord. Protect everyone here. Watch over everyone as they go through their week, wherever they may be. We love you. We praise you and look forward to coming together again next week. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.